CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown here on Mike FM Winnipeg. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are pleased to be joined by special guest, nobody today. It's just the two of us, me and Mike. Uh, how are you, Mike? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, man, you scared me there for a minute. Well, you know, I do the same intro line every week. It, 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 I just had to, I had to continue it. But uh, no, no guests this week. Just me and you. Um, a couple logistics issues prevented us from having a guest. Starting off with a power outage that knocked out what was it? The fuse on our soundboard at uh, the Mike FM studios. Actually, long story short, last Friday night we had the uh, rainstorm here in Winnipeg. And what happened was the power went out overnight. The station has a backup, a backup system. So essentially, the station will run on batteries if the power outage only lasts a certain amount of time. I think under two hours or something like that. Whatever left on the battery, what wound up happening? The power outage ended up being longer than the battery uh, could hold. And then basically, so the station just went completely dark. At which time, when the power came back on, there was a surge in the power cord, which powers the microphones and the console. And, of course, uh, scheduling issues as well. The Winnipeg Gold Eyes Championship game got rained out tonight and moved to tomorrow night, which uh, you are attending, I believe, correct? Yes, yes, um, yes. yes. So, thank, you, thank you for allowing me to do so, by the way. No, no worries. So... If you're listening to this, whenever this airs on Mike FM Winnipeg, this is recorded Tuesday night. It's about 11.25 p.m. right now we're starting this. So we're obviously not at the studio. We're in our studio. Well, you might be, Mike. I don't know. I am, yes. Okay, I am not. Um, I haven't seen your face in two weeks. With you at the Iceplex last week and Joe Pritchard joining me in the studio, we haven't seen each other in two, three weeks. I miss your face. Well, it's kind of weird. It messes with the thing, but you know what? I, I was going to say, you know, when you said, uh, you know, we don't have a guest, I, to be honest, with everything that's kind of gone on this week in the CFL and in the last two weeks, it's like we need the full hour to sub just to talk about what happened, you know, last week. Yeah, and I guess we'll get right into it with that. Obviously, the Bombers on a bye this past week, so not much from Bomberland to talk about, although news broke out earlier today um, that Jamal Westerman out for the rest of the season. There's something, there's something not right with that. I'll tell you that right now. I didn't even know he was injured. Um, I don't want to speculate, but... I had a conversation today with Darren Bombing shortly after Ed Tate broke the news on Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, not Winnipeg Free Press, sorry. Ed's old employer, but Winnipeg BlueBombers.com, or BlueBombers.com, pardon me. And I said, to, I don't even recall when I was at the Banjo Bowl 
I don't recall him leaving the game due to injury. He told the website that it happened at some point during the game. He can't recall when it happened. Do we know what the injury was? And that it felt very different after the game. All all that was specified was an upper body injury. That could mean anything from a finger to a headache to neck issues. Anything above the waist is fair game when it's upper body injury. Well, I mean, basically, if you look at that, the other thing I don't understand is, according to Darren Bauman and other media sources, Jamal Westerman was jumping up and down at practice today as if nothing was injured. It makes no sense to me. I have no idea what this injury could be. The only thing I can think of in that banjo bowl, we did have a couple cases where I don't know who... I believe it was an offensive lineman for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders got into it a bit with Jamal Westerman and, you know, was on top of him for a long time and kind of going at him. But uh, that's the only thing that springs to mind that could have, you know, caused an injury like this. I have to wonder, Ryan, if it happened in one of those skirmishes behind the plate. That that that's what I'm thinking in this case. But I, I don't I don't remember him leaving that game and maybe Maybe it's because I was watching it live and didn't, you know, have the the commentators on TV telling me that, and I just missed it somehow. But uh, I I had no idea Jamal Westerman left that game. So when you texted me earlier today and told me he was out for the season, it was it was quite a shock. Um, what does this mean for the Bombers? Obviously, a big hole for the Bombers to fill. But for me, Ryan, it's not a concerning hole. Because I think, you know, they rotate the D-line so well. I think this is just the opportunity that Justin Jeffcoat needed to get into that starting lineup. Sure, they're going to miss Jamal Westerman. But I'll tell you what. There's guys out there that the Bombers can go and get if they choose to fill the hole. But I also think that they can fill the hole internally. One thing you also have to remember is with Jamal Westerman... uh, with Jamal Westerman being out for the season, the Bombers can put him on IR, therefore relieving his salary from the actual salary cap. Therefore, Kyle Walters has money to play with at the trade deadline. Now also, which that trade deadline coming up October 11th, I believe, is the date for that one. So yep, quickly approaching. Um, the other thing, though, Jamal Westerman is Canadian Is Right, so that means that if you're going to get a guy to fill in for him, you're either going to get a Canadian or you're going to need to put one in at a different spot on the field. So I, I, I think we're looking at getting a better look at Trent Corny now on that defensive line. We've seen him come in a couple times, you know, over the last season a bit, and I think now with Westerman out, we're really going to see him get some playing time. Another dive at the Canadian on the roster too is Faye the first overall pit from last year. I haven't seen him much this year. He's been a scratch for the last couple of games for the Blue Bombers. I would expect him to draw back in as well. Uh, moving on from the Bombers into the CFL-wide news that broke uh, this Sorry week. here, Ryan, just really quickly. Yeah. Uh, the Bombers also have Shayon Green on the practice roster. Was that recently added? or? Uh, he's been here for a couple of weeks, but he left the team for a while. Okay, okay. Um, 
Anything else on the Bombers, or are you ready to move on? I'm just, I'm just reading a real quick quote here from the Blue Bomber website, and it's from Jamal Westerman to Ed T. I have no clue how it happened. I probably took a hit. It could have happened when I fell or pushed off somebody, or somebody might have rolled up on me. I'm not exactly sure which play in the game it happened, but I know after the game and after talking to the trainer, something wasn't right. Well, we know the injury didn't come from full contact in practice this week, Mike, because... Absolutely. What? Absolutely, man. Because, moving on into what I was trying to get at here, the uh, the rule changes announced by the CFL this past week. First of all, next season we'll be moving into a 21-week schedule uh, instead of a 20-week schedule with uh, each team getting three buys in there. So it looks like we're going to have a couple weeks where more than one team on a buy maybe we'll see, uh, you know, two, three-game weeks instead of a four-game week. Um, Ryan, do you remember back in the day before the Red Blacks came in? Yeah, when we used to have those, it was like... We, we used to have four teams, like there used to be two bye weeks, and this was back in the day where the teams had one bye week. Right. Four teams would take the bye one week, four teams the next week. Yeah, so I'm thinking that's probably what we're looking at, again, starting next season. Um, I like the change from the, from the player safety standpoint. Um Obviously, as a CFL fan, you know, you want to see four games out there every week because there's so much entertaining CFL football, but it's all about player safety, which is why they're doing it. And you have to wonder that, obviously, I think there's always been the concern about player safety and probably been looks into doing this, but with the number of injuries, I would say the Edmonton Eskimos have had this year, and even just other teams around the league are starting to build up here, um... I think it almost forced the CFL's hand a little bit to realize, okay, we we need to make some changes. I mean, look at Ottawa. Like, look at their schedule. They got to buy week 18, week 20, and then potentially if they end up, end up winning the East Division, have another buy in the Eastern semifinal. That's one game over the course of basically one month. Yeah, yeah, and... Uh... That almost always happens, right? It seems that every year we have a team that plays one game in three weeks or something like that. Um, the other major thing announced, and this one takes effect immediately, um, no con, no more full contact allowed in CFL practices. What did you make of this? I was stunned, to be quite honest with you, because if you're not allowing full contact in pads in, in practice... Isn't the game going to be a shot on on one's body? You have to think that, and uh, I, I get what they're trying to get at here, but I think we see far more injuries take place in a game than we do in practice. Isn't that the case? Uh, obviously, it's kind of magnified when a guy gets injured in practice, and you say, oh, they well, this is why we shouldn't allow pads in practice. What are you going to do next? You know, remove pads and uh, remove contact, and we're going to be playing flag football in the CFL? I mean, the CFL, honestly, Ryan, has been much bigger much bigger fish to fry. And I think they just made themselves one more, one, one larger fish that they have to take care of. Well, to me, the, the major issue with this is not, uh, it's not, you know, the defensive backs, the wide receivers. 
It's the guys in the trenches, the offensive and defensive line. Their entire job on the football field involves contact almost the entire time they're out on the football field. Whereas a wide receiver is, you know, trying to get open, trying to get past his man. Okay, he can do that without making full contact. How do you practice your job as an offensive lineman, you know, trying to fend off the guys that are coming after you if you can't touch them? I mean, it it just... I'd like to know... I guess I'd like to know from Randy Ambrosi and the PA exactly what their line of reasoning behind. I I guess the 21st week and the third bye? Oh, absolutely. I'm just not sure where this non-contact thing came from, where it stems from, and quite frankly, how it's going to prevent anything. Yeah, I don't know how much of an impact it will make. Because, I mean, like, to be honest, Ryan, we've had injuries happen in practice that have been fairly substantial. We've had injuries happen in warm-up. We've had injuries happen... I mean, just look... Sorry to cut you off there. Just look at last week, right, in warm-up before the game started. Mercy Maston for the Edmonton Eskimos. You know, I think he tore his Achilles and is out for the season in warm-up, so... Guys are getting injured more so not because of contact anymore but because of the stress that they put on their bodies in their training routines. Oh, I would agree with that entirely. And I think the schedule, you know, short schedules uh, do do have a bit of an impact on that because it doesn't give them the time to, you know, recover in between as much. Um, but to, to close the, that conversation off, I don't see how much of an impact in taking out full contact drills and practice is going to have. Um, and if anything, I almost see it kind of negatively impacting, like I said, those guys along the defensive and offensive lines, because like, what are they doing in practice? That's what I want to know. I, I have not seen yet. Like I, I, I just puzzles me how they're supposed to, you know, get better at their job when they can't do a fundamental part of it in practice. You know, maybe we should look at getting Randy Ambrosi on like, uh, in a future show, maybe toward the end of the year or even in an off-season special, just to kind of explain this rule of thumb, or if he's at an interview somewhere, I have yet to see one, about what exactly went into this situation. I would, yeah, I would love to know. Um, getting into the games from this past week, we start off with the one that, the most recent one, the Sunday game between the Montreal Alouettes and the Ottawa Red Blacks, and big news coming into this one, Mike, that, uh, the Montreal Alouettes fired their head coach, um, Jacques Chapdelaine, out in Montreal, and along with him, defensive coordinator Noel Thorpe. I was not surprised that Jacques Chapdelaine got the hook in Montreal after the offense not getting anything going and a three, what was a three and seven start to the season, and is now three and eight after the loss to Edmonton. To Ottawa, I believe. I'll double check on that. Um, but Noel Thorpe, the firing of Noel Thorpe makes absolutely no sense, in my opinion. What it tells me is Noel Thorpe was in the last year of his contract. They wanted to cut him loose because maybe he wasn't part of their long term plan. Then they 
they know that he tried to apply for other openings. And maybe there was some kind of pressure. You know, to remember, there was that report out there that they would not let Noel Forbes leave. Right. And maybe Noel Forbes kind of forced their hand and said, you know what? I'm not going to be around beyond next this year. Why keep me for the end of the season, right? Absolutely. Um, just to correct myself, because I just looked it up. So uh, after this week's losses, the Alouettes are at three and nine. So they were at three and eight when you're, these you're firings. Make, you're making them a better football team than they are. Congrats, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> That's hard to do. Um, well, actually, I guess it's easy to do because they are not a very good football team right now. And uh, to me, Noel Thorpe over the last couple of years is one of the only bright spots I've seen from the Montreal Alouettes. Their defense has carried the team ever since Anthony Calvillo retired. They haven't found, you know, really gotten anything going on offense. Look at the list of quarterbacks that they've had since Anthony Calvillo. It's almost, you know, parallel to the number of quarterbacks the Bombers have used over roughly that time span before they've now got Matt Nichols, obviously. Um, This is the fourth coaching change at the head coach position in five years for the Montreal Alouettes. It just puzzles me that out of all of those and how well that defense was playing under Noel Thorpe for so many years that you have four coaching changes in five years and he still never ended up at the head coach position and ended up being fired. Especially with the fact that they wouldn't let him leave either. Yeah. And so to me, that's the only thing I can think of where this makes sense is a disagreement on his future with the team. Um, just wanting to part ways with with him because as, in terms of quality, uh, coaching quality, uh, I think he was the best coach on the team. Um, and it certainly showed because his defense so far this season, even at a 3-9 and nine record, his defense has done pretty much all they can do. Yeah, and Ryan, let's be frank, and I don't know if you listened to our Clippy's podcast after they fired the coaching team. Anyway, he recorded a special podcast, and I had requested to listen to it, and I actually did because I was working here one night really late, and the guys fed up, the fan base is fed up, when does ownership begin to take responsibility that status quo is not acceptable, quick fixes aren't the answer anymore, especially if you don't have a quarterback? To me, looking back now, and it's easy to say because they're three and nine or whatever the heck their record is, I completely lost track. It's but, three and nine, yeah. But you know what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. and it's it's become very apparent to me in the way ownership conducted themselves, you know, signing Darian Durant in the offseason, they were convinced that the quarterback position was really the only fit, the only thing that was really lacking as far as, you know, pushing them over the top. Then you got the situation of, you know, you got your up-and-coming quarterback in Vernon Adams, and then you made the big mistake in trading them to Saskatchewan, 
for, you know, playing honestly, let's be frank, next to nothing. Or... Oh, let's not forget that they traded away a first-round pick last year in order to get Vernon Adams. Right, and so just these mistakes, like, I can't believe ownership signed off on this, and as far as I'm concerned, this isn't an ownership group that is capable of putting a product on the field. This is the product, Ryan, and I think you threw a stat out at me, and you, and you, can, you can help me with this. Something like 20 or 30-plus-year-old 30, 30 players. Yeah, so Dave Naylor tweeted out yesterday that in this game on Sunday, the players over 30 years of age, the Ottawa Red Blacks had three. The Montreal Alouettes had 20. Okay, 20 to three. So football is a young man's game, generally speaking. Henry Burris might say otherwise. But. Right, right. But when, you know, you have a 53-man roster or whatever you have and 20 of them are 30-plus, that's a problem. You know, th- th- this whole time you've been talking, I've just been shaking my head here in disbelief at the, like, know, because- the things that we have to talk about here because in a season where the Hamilton Tigercats started 0-8, and on their bye week, created more drama than anyone else in the CFL. The Montreal Alouettes are the basket case of the CFL this season. It's weird. No, no one's talking right now after Hamilton had won those two games in a row. They lost this week to Saskatchewan. But well, they should have won that game. Yeah, and we'll get into that. No, like no one's talking right now anymore about Hamilton as this, you know, train wreck. But although they did have a player suspended for two games today, I believe it was Mike Jones. Yeah. Uh, for substance abuse. So back in the news for Hamilton. But the Montreal Alouettes have become this laughing stock of the CFL uh, to an it's- extent. It's so weird, Ryan, and this was an organization that was highly regarded when I was growing up and first started seeing the and first started being a fan of of the CFL. Montreal was the what would now be the equivalent of the Calgary Stampeders. They they were the class of the league for a long time, right? In the Don Matthews era, the Anthony Calvillo in his prime the Ben Cahoons of the world, Jermaine Copeland. They had some defensive players, but to, you know, year after year, you could count on the Alouette being there. And it's this second-generation ownership, Ryan. The, the, the owners before, as I understood it, and they had original owners, and now it's kind of like been passed on along the family to the second-generation ownership. The one thing I would say to Montreal's ownership right now is bring in football people who can make football decisions. And if you're the owner, you better bet that you know what out of football pro- out of your football team's football operations, and let your football people do your jo- do their jobs. Or why did you hire them in the first place? Absolutely. Allow me to throw this out there for you yep. as. Okay. 
painting a picture for you and also a little bit of a teaser. If you missed the news, I'm now writing uh, CFL blogs on the Mike FM website. Um, the Three Down Thoughts blog coming out soon. I, one came out last week, another one coming out soon. On the state of the Montreal Alouettes right now and why it's so troubling. So allow me to paint this picture for you as a bit of a teaser here. Okay. Imagine your best friend in the world. You've you, you've had so many good times with them. All of a sudden tells you that he's moving away to a different city, different state, province, whatever. Mm-hmm. In a couple months. Over those next couple of months, you are going to love every minute and spend every moment you can with them. And then all of a sudden they're gone. And you now you're left shell shocked. Now you're like, what do I do? Because the you focus so much on spending time with that one person that now they're gone. You don't know what to do and you don't have a plan for what to do moving forward now. I see what you, I see where you're drawing with this. That's the Montreal Alouettes because with Anthony Calvillo at quarterback for so many years, they had such a good thing that they knew they could count on him. And they had other great guys on that roster, you know, talk about Ben Cahoon, right, uh, among others. And so all of a sudden, and the quarterback position was the major one because you had this guy in Anthony Calvillo. They milked him as long as they could, as long as he could play. And then all of a sudden he announces his retirement and the Alouettes had no plan for the future at that point. They weren't grooming another quarterback under, under Anthony Calvillo. They were just kind of riding him out as long as they could. And since then, look how many quarterbacks we've seen in Montreal. And they don't have a guy for the future at the quarterback position. Maybe they did in Vernon Adams. He showed potential. But then for some reason, they decided to ship him off to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders so far this season, earlier this season. So To be honest with you, I know nothing about the business of football. But I, if I owned the football team and I knew nothing about football, there was no way in heck about my football team that I sign off but my general manager allows me to trade a blue-chip up-and-coming quarterback prospect, which I thought Vernon Adams was, there's no way I let that happen under my watch. It's it's scary what's happening in Montreal it, to, me, uh, to me right now. And I'm not talking about the five-game win streak, five-game losing streak they're on right now. We talked about how many players they have over that age of 30. And let's not get wrong here. Some of these guys you know, are still playing at a high level. You look at Nick Lewis, who just earlier this season, you know, became the CFL's all-time catch leader. Um, and you look at guys like that. So I, I, they still have talent. They can still play for now. But how many years do they have left in the tank? That's what remains to be seen. I hope we get a couple more years out of guys like Nick Lewis, Darian Durant, if he can pick up his play again, even guys on that defense, you know, John Bowman, Chip Cox, uh, Kyrie Saber have all been in this league for a long time. So Ernest Jackson's been in the league for a long time as well on that offense. I think he's still got a couple of years left in him. But you heard my rant about Ernest Jackson last week on the show. I will come back to that as one message for Montreal ownership. All those all those pieces you mentioned. I try to move them in trades and try to rebuild this thing. 
Absolutely, and that's what they need to go through right now because the problem is they're not winning football games right now, but their major pieces that keep them competitive in games are all going to be gone within a couple years, you know, as they are getting older. And I don't see a plan for the future that much from the Montreal Alouettes. They have a couple up-and-coming players. I would count B.J. Cunningham in there at the wide receiver position. I'd, I've loved what I've seen from him so far this season. Uh, and they got a couple guys on that defense. Jonathan Mincy had a huge game against the Red Blacks, almost had three interceptions yep. in that game. So they, they have some young talent on that team, but I just don't think they have enough, you know, for me to be satisfied with the direction this team could possibly head anytime soon. The Alouettes need to undergo a full rebuild. I don't think they ever did that. They need a they need a Saskatchewan type rebuild. And I don't think they ever did that after Calvio retired. I think they they kind of stayed afloat. They, you know, getting back to my metaphor with that friend that leaves, all of a sudden the friend's gone. Then you're left, okay, now I'm trying to find a new best friend. But every time you find someone that has good qualities to them, you keep comparing them to, oh, but, you know, it's not the same as the one I had, mm-hmm. um, so we don't want them after all, right? That's almost that's almost what it seems like. They had these up-and-coming quarterbacks, uh, Vernon, it, like Vernon Adams, but, oh, he's not a, an Anthony Calvillo. Okay, on to find the next one. It, it's honestly laughable that an expansion franchise in Ottawa has had more success in the last four, three to four years than a team that had so much success in Montreal. And and, and I think Montreal's line of thinking was, you know, we can stay our head, keep our head above water, you know, in a mediocre division, which, you know, quite honestly, less than mediocre. But the way the West is going this year and a very good football team, most likely BC, the way I see it, to be completely honest, although... That could change. A very good football team will miss the playoffs. But Montreal fans, I think, and I'd be interested to have Cliffy on again, you know, maybe toward the end of the season. But my understanding is that Alouette fans would stomach a rebuild as long as there's a division. And I think the upsetting thing thing for the fans more so is, you know, there's no lack of, there's a lack of a vision and a lack of how are we going to resolve the problem? You know, I, I, to, to cut you off there, I just I, I, I see problems at decisions made at the owner position, the general manager position, the coaching position. Like I said, how Noel Thorpe hasn't been the head coach and is now out in Montreal makes no sense to me. Um, Kavis Reed takes over as head coach. Uh, the, guy, the guy had no GM experience and you put him in the general manager's chair? That, that I didn't understand. Anthony Calvillo now calling plays on offense. I'm interested to see what happens with that going forward. I, I Anthony Calvillo, the coach, is obviously not the same as Anthony Calvillo, the player, was. And that offense is remarkably just... I, I, I don't understand the numbers I've seen from that Montreal offense in recent weeks. So let me just throw some numbers at you here. Um, Over the last five games, the Alouettes have averaged 14 points a game on their losing streak. That's that's terrible. In in a lead that's catered toward offense more so now than five years ago. Um, In the last two games, they've had five first downs in the first half combined. At the end of the first quarter, 
this last game against Ottawa, and I was watching this game last night on the PVR, negative two yards of offense in the first quarter. That, that, that is like that is unreal in today's GFL. And then at the end of this all, to go and announce Darian Durant as the starter the next week. After he didn't even complete a pass, he though sits with a couple of shots. So, uh, was he announced? Did they go and announce him as the starter going into this game against Ottawa, or did they already announce him for this next week against the uh, against the Toronto Argonauts? I think well, it was before. There- I think it was before this game. Well, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, the game was Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, even after the game, Cavis reads it on Sunday afternoon. But an hour after the game, he was going back to Darian Durant. It makes no sense to me. It, it, it doesn't. Um, there's not much more I can say on the Montreal Alouettes at this moment. Um, one question I did want to have, though, because we've seen the Alouettes we we both agree they're in desperate need of a rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. Would you say Hamilton's in need of a rebuild? Wait, just just quick answer, not no explanation. Uh, no, no. I I I think they're borderline. My question is because we always you know we debate about the CFL. Let's get rid of the divisions. You know we have the West dominating the East division. And your argument and the consensus argument for it is always, well, we have this really good team in the West that's going to miss out on the playoffs. Another argument I would say for this, I think the divisional parity that we see in the CFL right now prevents a team from rebuilding. Because the Montreal Alouettes absolutely need a rebuild. Can you say that again? I think the divisional parity in the CFL right now. Yep. Prevents teams from rebuilding. Because you have Montreal Alouettes desperately need a rebuild right now. But they're only three wins out of first place in the division. Or even less than that, right? So it's not like, because the entire East Division is so bad, how can you go and convince, you know, people within the organization, okay, we're giving up on this season, time to rebuild, when you're two wins out of first place in the division? That's so true. I never thought of it that way. And that's something that just came to me this week when I was looking at that. And that's so I, I yeah, that's another argument towards it. Um, Ottawa Red Blacks, Trevor Harris out, Drew Tate starts this game, starts off on a tear, completes like nine of his first 11 passes. Um, yeah. The Ottawa Red Blacks had the ball for 41 minutes in this game. That's almost unbelievable. That's unbelievable, Ryan. And that's without their starting quarterback. And then Drew Tate goes down and Ryan Lindley comes into the game. And they still dominate the game. Looks like Drew Tate's most likely out this week uh, against the Bombers on Friday night. What did you see from Lindley when he came in? And... uh, does he? Do you have any sort of confidence in him coming into this game against the Bombers, or is that going to be a concern for the Red Black? It's going to be a concern, but I mean the secondary guys that Ottawa seems to have, you know, not behind a quarterback per se, right? 
that they have a supporting cast around them that's very successful. I just have to wonder, Ryan Lindley, in full responsibility of absolutely everything, is completely different than the Ryan Lindley. You know, you come in, you run your two-yard little, you know, third down and inches, third down and a yard kind of play. And yeah, I, yeah, I, think, I think the Bombers are in for a fight in the first half, but I think Nichols and the Bombers will pull away in the second half as they kind of start to figure out Ryan Lindley, the quarterback. Absolutely. And to their credit, the Red Blacks drew up a great game plan against Montreal because, you, you, you know, with Montreal's offense struggling so much, if you can really run down the clock uh, on offense against them, you're going to have a successful day. And that's absolutely what the Red Blacks did. William Powell, I think this was his first game back into the lineup. I don't have this information in front of me. So half the stuff I, you know, if I say it wrong, I apologize. It's late. I'm, uh, I don't have it in front of me. I'm thinking off the top of my head, but Powell had a great game for the Red Blacks. They really just controlled this game throughout defensively. Credit some of it to Montreal's struggles on offense. But this Red Blacks defense, in my opinion, has been getting better and better almost every week. You know, I, I had concerns about them, you know, early in the year, obviously, when they were losing all those close games. Now, my question is, the defense is fun and gotten into into form of late. Now are we going to see Lindley step up? Somebody else has to step up. Don't backup quarterbacks have a habit of stepping up and having big games in their first start against the Bombers? I feel like they do a lot. I, I have a nightmare about watching a certain guy in Calgary make his first CFL start as a third stringer. I'm pretty sure you know him, and I'm pretty sure he's pretty dread. And he was number 19. Nope, doesn't ring a bell. Bo Levi Mitchell. I know, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Mike. Um, <laughs> of course I remember Bo Levi Mitchell. How can you not? Um, yeah, that was a fun game. <laughs> if you're a Stamps fan, as a Bomber fan watching that one, I remember it being, uh, you know, third-string quarterback coming into the game and lighting up the Bomber's defense was remarkable <laughs> to see. Um <laughs> I just remember uh, real quickly being there with my cousin who now lives in Vancouver and turning around and going, who is this guy? Hmm. Don't forget, Lindley also has NFL experience with the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, I did not know that. He's, um, on, he's on my Madden 25 video game as a backup quarterback. <laughs> oh, Mike. Um Another player that stepped up recently for the Red Blacks, Deontay Spencer, had another huge kick return for a touchdown in this game um it really puzzled me because i remember i think it was week two against calgary he had such an explosive game in the return game and on offense returned one for a touchdown and then for several weeks they pulled him off the punt return in the kick return duties and i never really understood why and then now all of a sudden they put him back in there and he's doing a heck of a job maybe that's a a chance to look at things a little bit differently, you know? Yeah, you never know. Um, moving on, uh, what do we want to talk about next? Uh, Hamilton, Saskatchewan? That would be a dead start because that had a huge implication 
to how the Bombers are doing. All right. What do you got for that one? Well, for me, I Brandon Bridge did better than I thought uh, he would. Hamilton started out slowly. I'm convinced, though, if Hamilton would have had 10 more minutes, it's just that's when we would have lost that game. Yeah, let's talk about, uh, I totally forgot, with all this news in Montreal and everything, Brandon Bridge, first Canadian quarterback to win a start since 1995. Crazy. I love it. Um, I cannot help but cheer for a Canadian quarterback, no matter on which team he plays for, you know. These shows are archived, right? They are. Remember the name Noah Pitkin. Okay. University, University of Regina Rams quarterback right now. Okay. He's a really dead up-and-coming quarterback. In many things, he's the future of Canadian quarterbacks in the CFL. Interesting. I will root for him all the way because it's great to see Barely ever do Canadian quarterbacks get a chance to play, never mind start, in the CFL. Uh, They don't even count towards the ratio in the CFL, which that's a subject for another day that I don't agree with. Um, But props to Brandon Bridge. He got the chance, and he he delivered. Uh, Second half, he struggled, I would say. Didn't have nearly as good of a second half, but in the first half, he came I I think he hit a wall at... As most quarterbacks do when defenses make adjustments, I don't think Brandon Bridges is at that point where he can see automatically, okay, this is what they're doing doing to me. Here's how they counteract that. And uh, he got his, you know, he got his receivers, Bakari Grant, Naaman Roosevelt, both with touchdowns in this game. Uh, his big name receivers, he got them into it early and often. Uh, Deron Carter goes down. Shoulder injury, I want to say. Uh, yeah, I heard a ankle injury, but I think oh. up, um, upper or lower body injury, one of the two, is probably a safe way to put it. So we'll see how long Deron Carter is out uh, for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And uh, the major key coming into this game, really, for the Riders, that I said was they forced so many turnovers over that three-game win streak they had before they lost the Bombers in the Banjo Bowl. And in that loss to the Bombers, they really didn't for... They they lost the turnover battle. Uh, this game, they got back to it. Uh, Ed Ganey, another two interceptions, which is crazy. Yeah, I'm just checking here, Ryan. It's a lower body injury for Duran Carter, sprained okay. ankle. Apparently, I know nothing. Apparently, you know what? Shoulder is the new ankle. Everything's a shoulder injury, huh? Everything's a shoulder injury. Yep. Um, quote that one. But <laughs> Ed Ganey, two two interceptions. The Riders forced multiple turnovers in this game, and that was the key coming in. Defense, when that, that defense forces turnovers, they have a chance to beat any team in the league, and that was the major factor in this one. Well, don't know if you caught this news tonight. Sounds like the Riders have signed Mark Olivier Brulat and Eli Buka. Former Montreal Alouettes, I believe, correct? Yes. Um, and also Saskatchewan bringing in a lot of new guys, or old guys, I guess. Otha Foster was back this week, I believe. Uh, Marcus Big Pen played, but that hurt. Yep. 
Um, so both of those guys brought back. And I think Jeff Knotts Jr. That's the other one I was looking for. Thank you, Mike. Um, so Saskatchewan bringing in more pieces. We'll see how they all bolster that defense, that offense, and the return game with Marcus Thigpen. Um, oh. for, for the Ticats, what, what's the story of this game for the Ticats? Jeremiah Mazzoli, third straight start, was 2-0 and so far. They were too slow getting going. They were down at a one-yard line late in the football game, had a chance. I mean, too bad they couldn't get anything going in the, in the first half. Well, and, they, and looking just looking at the stats line here, uh, the week before, C.J. Gable had one of his best games as a Ticats in recent years, and that was a major key in the win that they picked up that we were uh, we were kind of praising them for on the show last week was finally using C.J. Gable because he is such a talented running back that he may be the most underused talent in the CFL. And this week, again, seven carries only for 26 yards for Gable. He picked up 39 through the air, but... When is Hamilton finally just regularly going to start giving him the ball? It would take so much pressure off the quarterback, off the wide receivers. They're, right, they're going to need a running game, especially if they plan to run into the ball and, dare I say it, into the playoffs. It might happen. It's just crazy. Although at this point, I would say it's a little more unlikely, though anything can happen, just given that, you know, uh, I believe the Red Blacks have the season series over them. So Toronto, do they play each other one more time yet this year? If not, Toronto would have the season series in that one as well, just based on point differential. So uh, I I think the Ticats are going to fall short of the playoffs this year. They might go you know, pick up a couple more wins if they can get that run game going is the biggest key to me. Um, Hamilton, Hamilton also got them help this week acquiring Shamar Chambers from the Astros. Right, they're desperate need of that Canadian wide receiver position because they've had a couple guys go down to injury. And also this week, Andy Fantu's back with the Ticats, signed to the practice roster. So it's probably not long till we see him back in the game lineup. Uh, and in that wide receiver position for the Ticats. That's a huge addition right there. I don't know if you know this, the CFL website here, but they give the odds of the team to make the playoffs according to percentages, the odds to win the respective division, the odds to appear in the Grey Cup, the odds to win the Grey Cup, and the most likely a Grey Cup matchup. What's the most likely Grey Cup matchup, Mike? Most likely Grey Cup matchup, Calgary-Ottawa. I could see it. That would be a fun rematch. The third most likely, uh, likely Grey Cup matchup, according to this predictor if you want to call it that, at 6.99%, the Bombers and the Red Blacks. Interesting. They'll play each other Friday night here in Winnipeg. Um, odds to win the Grey Cup, according to this predictor, the Bombers have the second highest odds at 11.07%. Highest odds, Calgary, at over 67%. <laughs> odds to win, odds to appear in the Grey Cup, 79% for Calgary. Yep. Odds to win the West, 94% Calgary. Bombers have the second highest odds. 
Guess who has the odds to win the East? The at best 50, odds? At, at, guess, sorry, to win the East with the projection of 57 point. Sorry, 56.72% the Toronto Argonauts. Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me if Trevor Harris is out for more than, you know, they say he's out two to six weeks. They say both quarterbacks are week to week. Yeah, so if if they're down at the quarterback position, then I could definitely see that. Um, you mentioned the Calgary Stampeders having such a large percentage chance of winning the Grey Cup this year. They beat the BC Lions this week 27-13. to 13. Um, another big win by the Stampeders in this one. Another win for that defense. They forced a couple of Jonathan Jennings ill-advised interceptions. The Lions threw this game away as much as the Calgary Stampeders won the game, to be quite honest. Exactly, and that's the thing about the Calgary Stampeders is they are so good on all three sides of the ball that... If one of them has air quotes an off day, which an off day for Calgary is still better than most teams in the CFL's good day, just beating them at one position is not enough. You have to best them on all three sides of the ball, and it's it's pretty darn hard to do, and that's why we see them so successful every single season in the regular season. Um, what are you What are you hearing as far as the running back situation for Sunday? Well, that's that's what what interests me because their top three running backs went down to injury in this game, and I think they all came from hits actually um, from Micah Awe from the BC Lions with those terrible terrible headshots, you know, diving in with the helmet that somehow went uncalled. And that... the CFL the CFL has an epidemic about this coming if we don't already. Yeah, and I don't want to get too much into that right now because we are running out of time, Mike. Although I guess we can go a couple. We uh, we're at almost fifty minutes already. Uh, I guess we can go a little over, as you know, we are not we're not stuck in our hour time slot right now. But um, the BC Lions, Calgary Stampeders, back to the running back position, as you mentioned, Jerome Messam went down with a pretty nasty injury. Um, Anthony Woodson as well. Uh, Roy Finch got shaken up in that game to the point where in the fourth quarter, you had Rob Cote was the starting running back for the Calgary Stampeders. Not too often he gets the ball. So it remains to be seen who, I, unless I've just missed something, who like what the situation is going to be uh, for them this week. Uh, when they play the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Sunday, it gives them a couple more days to heal up. But I'm interested to see where that all lines up. Absolutely. One guy One guy I want to talk about from the Calgary Stampeders. Actually, two guys. First of all, on the offensive side of things, you look at the injuries they've had. You know, Devaris Daniels out, Lamar Durant out. They really have two guys that have been leading. Uh, Kamar Jordan I would throw in there as well. I forgot about him because he was injured so early in the season. Two guys have really been leading that offense at the wide receiver position for the Calgary Stampeders, and that's Markway McDaniel, which we all knew he would because he has been for many years. He's that surefire second down target. But then you have Mark and Michelle, who storms onto the scene this season, and I tell you, he is a strong candidate to be in the running for CFL Rookie of the Year at the end of the season because 
This guy is the big play guy for the Calgary Stampeders. You have Markway McDaniel for that second down, uh, surefire target. But if you need to th open things up, fire it downfield to Mark and Michel because he's made some incredible catches. He picks up yards in bunches, and he's just had an explosive season so far. For sure. And uh, so that's, uh, yeah, CFL Rookie of the Year. He would almost get my vote for that right now. I, I, I think there might be a bit of competition around the league. You look at maybe Duke Williams in Edmonton. Um, and then defensive side of the ball, and I talked about this on our Twitter account this week, Alex Singleton gets my vote for Defensive Player of the Year at this point in the season in the CFL. So many good guys around the league. Ed Ganey, Maurice Leggett, TJ Heath, Solomon Olamimian, among many others. Alex Singleton just did a CFL first and had over 10 tackles in three straight games. Is a second-year pro and is leading that Calgary Stampeders defense, which is absolutely insane. And he's leading it by example. What have you seen? What is it about Alex Singleton that makes him able to lead that defense so well by example? He's seen everything from offenses at this point. There ain't too much between a fool, Alex Singleton. No, definitely not. And there hasn't been. He's just been dominant. Love watching him play. Uh, the BC Lions. Uh, quickly here from this game. What did you see from them? You mentioned, you know, they kind of threw the game away. Jonathan Jennings went down for a brief moment, uh, and there was a little scare there. Uh, they've got Alex Ross and Mitchell Gale, if that happens, which I, I'm not too confident in. So what, what did you see from the Lions? Because I think this was the first time this year they had their four major wide receivers in the lineup. Interesting. I saw a quarterback that looked very indecisive and that cost him a game. Hmm. So Jennings has that bounce back against Montreal the week before uh, when Lule went out. Do we chalk that up then to just playing a Montreal team that's very bad? Um, and then they fell back. You know, he kind of fell back to earth again this week. Or do we say, okay, well, he had a good bounce-back game against Montreal, but then he played this incredibly tough Calgary defense? He played a tough defense, but, Ryan, the game was there winnable for the longest time. You take away the pitch, BC probably wins the football game. Yeah, can't argue that. Cal Calgary wasn't overly spectacular. They were good, but they weren't great. And that seems to be the case a lot this season. They've had a couple blowout wins, but the Calgary Stampeders are able to pull out those gritty wins. Um, and that's just, worth as many points in the standings. I just have to wonder, for, for a fact of what I'm trying to explain, if the Bombers make the last final against Calgary, yep. let's say it happens. Give me one reason why the Bombers will not win that football game. It is one game... Everything else is irrelevant. The Bombers or anybody had just a good a chance to beat Calgary in a one-game playoff. Uh, this, you, so you, want, you want a reason why the Stampeders pull out the win? No, no, no. Why, why, they, why one of these teams cannot beat Calgary in the West Final? Like why, give me a reason why the other teams aren't... So, like, 
Give me one reason why the Bombers cannot go into Calgary and they win the win the West final. Like for me, I don't. I like the Bombers and I like anybody's chances in a one-game playoff to beat Calgary in Calgary. Here's why, and I'll give you my reason here, and it's related to what I explained before. You look at most games in the CFL, if you can put out a 60-minute effort on all three sides of the ball, nine times out of ten, you are going to win a football game. Against the Calgary Stampeders, that might not even be enough because they are so, like I said, so good, so deep at all three sides of the ball. You know, Bo Levi Mitchell has an off day. The defense steps up. Talk about Roy Finch, who's almost had another touchdown for, I believe, the third straight game uh, in the return duties this week. He had a long one and then got kind of tripped up there. So they're so deep on all three sides of the ball that you, they don't really have a weakness. And that that's where you, that's where you beat a team, a good football team is if you can find their weakness. And I struggle to find one for the Calgary Stampeders. I think they only really lose if they beat themselves. But there are some ways that you can beat Calgary. Eliminate your turnovers and score when they give you a chance to score. If you can do that, you can beat them. Absolutely. Uh, quickly, uh, Edmonton, Toronto, and then we'll get into picks quickly. Uh, are you okay with going a couple minutes overtime here, Mike? Oh, yeah, no worries. Um, so Edmonton, Toronto. Toronto pulls out uh, what I would call an upset, 34-26 win over the Eskimos. Coming into this game, you know, four-game losing streak for the Eskimos after they started 7-0. and seven and I really thought they were going to be fired up coming into this game, you know. Uh, Jason Maz probably had some target practice with a headset coming into this week, you know, made sure his aim was a little better, uh, really riled up the guys. You know, everyone was pissed after losing two straight games to the Stampeders, especially the fashion they lost the last one and a very heated affair. So like I was expecting a heated up Eskimos team coming into this game and we really didn't get that, did we? I have to wonder, man. There's something deeper going on in Edmonton right now. Like what? They were lucky to win a lot of those games. At seven and all. Are we what they think they are now at seven and five? Or well, what they should be? Like it's just remarkable to think of a seven and oh football team all of a sudden losing five straight games. And they have a bye week this week. And then, interestingly enough, they play the Bombers, where it kind of where the whole losing streak started. So it comes kind of full circle, and now we're back in Winnipeg. Well, I guess they're home to the Bombers. They haven't won since the last time they've played. So, have we ever seen a seven and O football team all of a sudden go set become seven and seven? Ryan, here's something. Here's something I will say. You win football games. You lose football games over the course of the season. You win football games you probably shouldn't have won. People would argue that Edmonton won football games in that seven and zero stretch, you know, but that they shouldn't have won. Now they're playing football games, but they should have won, and they're not winning. The bottom line for me is I think over the course of an eighteen game season, it evens out. It evens out, and. To be honest with you, the Edmonton Eskimos are 
where everybody thought they would be at this point in the season way back in June. They just weren't expecting, you know, the 7-0, and and then now the 0-5 drop. Right, it's almost magnified, whereas maybe they, you know, two-game win streak, lose one, one win, and then kind of alternate and do kind of that pattern. We're to probably me, looking I, at, okay, this is an average football team, and then the, just to... Yeah, the Eskimos, by insert said, the Eskimos are right where I thought they would be. They just got there. I just didn't expect how they got to where they are. I'll tell you this. Of all the injuries Edmonton's had this season, without a doubt the one that's impacted them the most, and it's very clear, is the injury to Sean White, their kicker, because in recent weeks the kicking game has just gone absolutely sour in Edmonton. Hugh O'Neill this week uh, made one of three field goals. You know, they, they've struggled in the kicking game ever since Sean White went down. Uh, and including in this week, you know, he misses a field goal and Martise Jackson takes it back, I think, 125 yards for the touchdown. So that's a huge 10-point swing right there. Um, the kicking position is one where you really want to be able to, okay, if you get into a decent field position, you can rely on him to put points on the board uh, even if your offense stalls. Right now in Edmonton, I don't see any confidence in the kicking position until Sean White returns. I don't see any confidence, to be honest with you, at all. Because you have to remember, they were down a fairly decent hole in that football game, as I recall, multiple touchdowns anyway, double digits. Then it was the old defense softening up allowing the Eskimos to get back into it. So, from what I saw, and I didn't see much of this game at all, it was the case of the identity of the game didn't necessarily... The scoreboard didn't necessarily reflect the disparity of the game as far as the plays that were made at the times they had to be made. Yeah, defensively, um, that was... That was it was a nightmare for a large portion, I would say, of that first half. James Wilder Jr., a heck of a game for him running back for the Argos. Was Brandon Whitaker injured or I believe so. I, I that that's the only thing that makes sense to me. But uh James Wilder Jr. comes in, runs off, I think, a seventy eight yard touchdown run or something along around that vicinity early in the first half. Um in the first half alone, 167 yards of offense for him and two touchdowns, I believe. So, heck of a game for him. We're not used to seeing that much production from the running game in Toronto because it's always Ricky Ray throw, Ricky Ray throw. Even with Brandon Whitaker, Whitaker we never see him getting the ball too often. So, it was kind of interesting to see Toronto go that route this week, and it obviously paid off for them. Yeah, and to be honest with you, man, it's it's about time. And I don't think Toronto's had, you know, a running back performance that Wilder's had in quite some time. And I think it surprised Edmonton with the dimension that they haven't really had to see from Toronto. And now I think you know, whoever's got them next this coming up week and the team escapes me right now, I think, you know, I think it might be Ottawa this week if Against I'm not who? Oh, sorry, no, the, it's, uh, it's Montreal this week. Against Toronto, now, yeah. So now you've given, 
Montreal's defensive coordinator, whoever it is, I don't even know who it is, based on you know their changes. Now you've given this individual more to think about. Yeah. And, and it just it opens everything else up. And I hope to see them run the ball a lot again because win that time clock, right? That's what Ottawa did well against Montreal. It was a great game plan, I thought, by Toronto's offense, really. Um, the Eskimos have struggled defensively to stop the run during this getting losing streak. Um, so way to exploit that for the Argos. Took some pressure off of Ricky Ray, and he still had a pretty fine game himself. I I, I have no idea what to expect from Edmonton the rest of the year. I have no idea what to expect from Ottawa the rest of the year. It all depends on their quarterback. Toronto has a really golden opportunity in front of them to pull away in the East. I I would agree with you. Uh, I thought it was going to be Ottawa taking taking that first place in the East this season, but with those injuries uh, to Trevor Harris and even back up Drew Tate, uh, if the Argos can string a couple wins together here, they could, you know, storm ahead a little bit. Finally, in that East Division standings. For the Eskimos, I agree with you. I don't know what to expect going forward because I really thought this week, at least, that they were a better football team than that four-game losing streak they had and that they would bounce back finally and get back into the win column. But then they pulled off this performance against the Argos. So I, I, I don't know what to expect from the Eskimos because the, their defense isn't getting it done. Kicking position, they're not getting it done. Um Offensively, I'd still say they're doing pretty well. What's shocking to me is the lack of involvement of Adarius Bowman in that offense. The last couple of weeks since returning from injury uh, really hasn't been involved much at all. And you would think, now I know the targets are, a lot of them are going towards Darrell Walker since he came back and to Brandon Zilstra since he came back from injury. But you would almost think all the targets those two have been getting would really open things up for Adarius Bowman, but he seems to almost be non-existent. Yeah. And so I, I, I really don't know what to see going forward from the Eskimos. A bye week this week, hopefully that means they get a couple guys back from injury, uh, but it remains to be seen. Hopefully no one gets injured during the bye week. I think that might... Uh, if someone gets injured on vacation and is out for the rest of the season from the Eskimos during the bye week, that wouldn't even surprise me. Here's something else to note, just going back to Ottawa quickly. They have five games left in the season. Four of them are against the West. Wow. Two was, here, here's a quick rundown, and, I, and I'll go backwards. We 20 by... Week 19, home to Hamilton. Week 18, by Week 17, Ottawa plays at Saskatchewan. Week 16, Ottawa plays at BC. Week 15, Ottawa hosts Saskatchewan. And this week, Ottawa plays the Bombers in Winnipeg. And that leads us into our weekly picks, starting with that game. The Red Blacks in Winnipeg Friday night. I think we've both kind of talked about who we were picking in this one, although you're known to go and switch your mind within an hour. So um, I'll, I'll start. I'm taking the Bombers at home. If Trevor Harris was in the lineup, I think it might be a bit of a different story. Uh, I think I might be a little more inclined to pick Ottawa. I'd probably still go with the Bombers just coming off the bye week, having time to prepare. 
Um, but with Ryan Lindley getting his first start in the CFL, uh, that's his first start, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not too confident in, in seeing what Ottawa can do there. So uh, I'm going to take the Bombers. That ball-hawking defense uh, is a big one for me. Richie Hall, if there's ever a week to earn your paycheck, it's this one. Make it miserable for the guy. The guy's seen an NFL defense, uh, but he hasn't seen a CFL defense. Particularly one with ball hots. The Bombers do have some tape on him based on what they saw last week. It'll be close, but I still think the Bombers win. All right, moving into the second game. Uh, doubleheader on Friday night. Uh, this one a late Notice. one. A ten- Both the times, it's weird, 7 and 10 o'clock. Yeah, 10 p.m. start uh, central time for uh, the game in B.C., hosting the Tiger Cats. 11 Um, o'clock in Hamilton. Oh, geez. Um, This is is an interesting matchup to me because the Tiger Cats are a team that looked like they were on the rise that fell back last week, Um, and then the Lions looked like a team for a while that fell backwards, but kind of not last week, but the week before were on a rise, so... Who do you take in this one, the Lions at home? For me, to be very, 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 very frank, if Hamilton has any shot of making the playoffs, any shot at getting back in its East Division, it's a win right here against the team that doesn't really know what they have at quarterback. And no, I, I think Hamilton's We'll lose this football game, and we'll see their season slowly go in the non-playoff route or at least confirm that the two wins were two wins and there's nothing more to be substantially excited about. This is uh, it's very tempting to almost go and pick the Tiger Cats because they have improved in recent weeks. Like you said before, they almost won this game against Saskatchewan. That would have been a three-game winning streak. But BC at home is normally pretty good. Um, a loss to the Stampeders, I mean, I, I, I struggle to look too much into losing a game to the Stampeders because everyone does, um, except Montreal, which kind of just makes me weird thinking about, you know, if how bad the Alouettes are this season if Calgary runs the table the rest of the way to think the Alouettes would be the only team to beat Calgary in the regular season this year um, is something very weird to think about. But I, I, I think the Lions will play a better game at home. Also, like you said, the time difference between uh, Hamilton uh, having such a late game in BC. I'm taking the Lions to win this one. I... Um, Toronto hosting the Alouettes, um, listen to the first 30 minutes of this show and you know who I'm picking. I'm picking the Argos. I, I have no faith in the Alouettes to win a football game right now. And that's being completely a hundred percent honest. Um, offensively, they've done nothing to show me any hope. That's fair. What about yourself? I won't argue with what you said. You're going with the Argos as well. It it ain't going to be... This ain't going to be fixed in one week, especially with the short week. And then the Saskatchewan Rough Riders hosting the Calgary Stampeders. 
Um, Calgary is too good of a football team. I'm taking the Stampeders, although Saskatchewan at home is normally pretty good. Um, so this could be a very interesting game. So I'm going to go first. Oh, I already went. I said I was picking Calgary. Oh, Calgary by a field goal. I, I just take Calgary just because, like I said before, they're dominant on all three sides of the ball. And, uh, especially if Kevin Gwen's not in the lineup, Brandon Bridge is starting. I don't know. I think Gwen might be back this week. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. So I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say Calgary's going to win this game. And I agree it. with that. And that's that's it, Mike. Uh, an hour and eleven minutes. We went a bit overtime. Uh, bomber bye week. The, Lots to talk the about. Boss, the boss let us go overtime. No, just kidding. I'm the boss. <laughs> I thought I was the boss. Just kidding. You're the boss of the show, but fair enough. Um, that's all for this week. Um, I got anything else to add before we uh, head out and you know finally get some sleep? Uh. Boy, oh boy. Uh, hockey season's in full swing here on my FM. Sleep sounds about dead. I'm signing off for tonight. All right. That's it for the Canadian Football Countdown this week. Uh, we will be back again next week. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have I'm a wonderful day. It, by the way, Ryan, will be, back, we'll be back next Monday. Pardon me? We'll be back next Monday. That's what I understand. As far as I'm aware, yes, although plans always change. Uh, we'll let you know. Follow us on Twitter, at CFC on Mike FM for all of that. Uh, have a wonderful night, and we'll talk to you next week.